knowing what makes a successful data team or person is um, keeping your, your customers happy, making sure they're using the data, make sure they trust the data. Uh, I've always you know, had that uh, come through different companies and I've always tried to apply that, that, that concept uh, or that mantra. It's like, if, if you can do that everywhere, you'll be successful. That's James Mission of Flipside Crypto, who are doing really fascinating things in the cryptocurrency space. And in fact, towards the end, you'll hear that he mentions a way for you to get involved where you could actually get some of this data and start doing some stuff and earning crypto. So if you're into that kind of thing, make sure to listen all the way through. And James is someone I've worked with in the past for a long time now at multiple different companies. And I wanted to bring him on because he really is at the cutting edge of everything happening in the data space. So if you're looking for which platforms maybe to learn or you just want to hear about kind of the latest and greatest, he is someone that is going to break it down for us all here in this episode today. But of course, before we get into that, please give us a like, a share, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or YouTube or wherever you're listening to help spread the message and grow this episode or this podcast here so that way more people can hear about it and learn like I hope you do from this episode. So that's it for this one. Let's dive in now and hear from James Mission of Flipside Crypto. Thank you for coming, James. We've known, how long have we known each other now? 2011. Is that that's when you came to work at Bridgepoint? Bridgepoint, yeah. That was my first, yeah, my first time. So that's almost 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. And do you remember what you did in your interview? Yeah. What did uh, you do? Because I think people need to hear this. Uh, what did I do? I got an iPad. Uh-huh. And then I made a little project, and I yeah. presented it, and I was like... So coming from a prior company at UCSD, I actually just worked on that because yeah. I was like, some people were asking like, hey, you know, we have some execs that want to, you know, see this thing on on a on their, on their iPads, and I was like, all right, let me kind of look into it. So I went in, figured it out, and then I was like, well, I can. And then I had a I had internet connection on it as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, and then it wasn't really locked down or anything. So I'm like, well, if I put fake data on there. Yeah, I can go ahead and show you guys kind of a demo of something that I built. So yeah, that was kind of the, uh, the 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 first part of it, and I think that was like you know you came in the room, and then there was uh, I think Andrew was there and Dustin was there. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, so I just showed hey here's a demo that I built and here's it working and kind of explained kind of the, the thought process and mm-hmm. you know I like I like kind of doing those things kind of to show what what I've known because I've. Been in interviews where like no one really cares about that stuff, like Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> like I've done the <laughs> they Facebook. Ask you these esoteric questions that have no meaning in reality. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, do you want to know anything about me? Anything that I've built? Any projects I've worked on? And it's yeah. been, it's always like, no. Just here's some algorithm from some that's crazy some, some class that you have to like do it in you know the best uh, performant manner, right? Like either yeah. O to the one or O to the n performance, and yeah. it's like, yeah, but like college was so long ago and you don't really do this in data right i don't know maybe maybe in some cases you do right but for like my my kind of work it doesn't feel like a lot of i mean it's it's good to have under your belt and have that knowledge because you're it's it's problem solving and things like that yeah yeah, yeah. but on a day-to-day basis it's not really a thing so so let's back up okay so you you where where'd you go to college san diego state san diego state when did you graduate 2007. 2007. So that's okay. four years after I graduated, I went and worked uh, interview with you guys at Bridgepoint. Okay, and what did you go to college for? Computer engineering. Okay, so yeah. you had a good tech background. Yes. Did yeah. you have any idea that you wanted to work in data? No. No. Zero. zero. Yeah. Yeah. So, was... so what? I mean, was data even like when I went to college? There was no such thing as data yeah. as, a, as a 
degree. Yeah. Was there when you went to college? No. So you were like computer science. Yeah. Or computer engineering, or what? Computer information systems. Yeah, that I was think, like I that think, was like the most data. Kind I think of. information systems. Yeah, I have friends that are in the the data field, like yeah. they're analysts. They had their information systems degrees. Right, which is kind of like maybe you learned SQL, but you learned about databases and you learned about how yeah. whatever. So kind of data, but not like a here's Python, go no, develop an I algorithm. <laughs> you know, I wish. And yeah, I, I, you know if I. If I started today and I got into that field, that would have been amazing. I would have had so much fun yeah. in college because computer engineering for me was like so difficult because it's electrical engineering uh-huh. and computer science in one major. So like uh. you're taking all the hardcore physics classes, right? And then you're also doing the programming classes and you can't really focus on one. If I really thought about it, maybe I should I should have went to computer science. Uh-huh. But I didn't know I liked like programming. Like I liked right. uh, video games. That was my thing. In my career, and I was like, you know what, I want to like build video games or uh-huh. hardware or something. You know, the right. computer engineering it kind of you know fits in that space. Right. But I don't really do any of that stuff. Like all my computer engineering knowledge, it's like it's completely just. Did, did you get into like what's a capacitor and here's yes. how a motherboard works? Yes. And, man, <laughs> it was like all the yeah, and then like the, the the calculations behind the electrical engineering and like you know yeah. how do you calculate the ohms and like stuff yeah. like that and like. If you asked me that today, I'd have no right. idea. Right. Okay. Well, good because we have a whole test lined up for you. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that's and that's like a job interview. It's like here's you know how much ohms is it going to go to this? How many volts? It's like I mean that's the basic stuff. Yeah. But like the really hardcore stuff, you know, maybe if I went and tried to work for NASA, like for my for, for like my, Qualcomm or someone working yeah. on a chip. Yeah. You know that that would make sense. But to me, it's data is is a, a lot more fun. Yeah, okay. Just because it's more like, uh, I like, I'm, I'm more user focused or like, I like working with people, mm-hmm. building relationships and stuff. That's what I've, I think that's one of my specialties is mm-hmm. like, I'll go to a place, get to know someone and say, hey, what do you need with your data? And then we'll kind of talk back and forth and, I, and, and picking their brain and say, you know what, I know, I think I know what you need. Let me build like a prototype for you and yeah. kind of present that. And they go, yeah, that's exactly right, what right. you need. And I think that's why communication is like a, a key thing right. in, in, uh, in data. Right, like the best, Absolutely. the best people are the best communicators, and that can, that can not only communicate but also listen and articulate what someone's saying. Mm-hmm. And like, you, not a lot of people really think about that, like the soft skills, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so okay, so so that's so then you you get out of college, yeah. And where do you go work? So my first job was a uh, a QA intern. Okay. And that was I, you literally just wait for builds and you do like Test. black te- like black box testing where. All right, this is the expected output, and you just yes or no. Yeah. And I was like, I did computer engineering, and I literally you just wait for builds. Um, I didn't learn a lot there. Uh-huh. It was I played a lot of ping pong <laughs> uh, at that at that point. I mean, I did my own like little side you know projects and things like that, um, but didn't really learn much. And then my buddy, he worked at a company called Cardinal Health before. I think mm-hmm. they became Carefusion. He was like, Hey, do you want a full time job? Because you're an intern and you get you'll pay, you triple your pay or whatever. Right. And I was like, yeah, I don't care. What is it? He's like, it's a it's a data analyst position, clinical data analyst, right? And I was mm-hmm. like, sure. And then like you know, I did some SQL, maybe like maybe one quarter of something related to data, but not nothing really in depth. So, mm-hmm. but I went to that job, um, learned SQL, uh, and then you know some reporting, and I was like, okay, like this is cool. I I, I get to you know learn about databases and things like that. So that was kind of my first career job as a, as a data person. Yeah, okay, great. And, and that, I mean, that's what a great, because the data there must have been cool to work with. I mean, maybe not interesting, but like there was lots of it and it probably yeah. had 
some really interesting dimensions, right? Yeah. Some, you know, different, like, like, do you know anything about healthcare and uh, how it worked prior to that? Or, you know, I mean, other than being a, you know, consumer of healthcare, but. Yeah, nothing. And then they had two products. One was, uh, uh, you know, those IV yeah, that, that 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 you can programmatically you know program and they they get they track the data of like how well if someone's abusing some drugs oh, really? or like <laughs> yeah if nurses are giving too much and they have these med stations so that was one data that was kind of one set of data the other set of data was like uh, the medicine cabinet so if people are stealing medicine or like they could flag like hey someone's uh, a high there's a high chance that someone's stealing one mm. of your nurses and stuff mm-hmm. so what I was doing the, the the thing that I liked about that job is it allowed me to, to talk to a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't a very good communicator as as well as I am now but that was I remember my first calls because I, I had to get these reports and I had to talk to like you know chief nursing officers directors of pharmacy and tell them like here's what your data is doing right and I remember I bombed <laughs> the first couple calls, I think I remember I was so nervous and I was like, man, like, uh, this is hard because, like, you know, you're not really put in, like, when you're going to college, you do some public speaking courses, but nothing when you're actually explaining the data, mm-hmm. right? But after about, you know, six months, I got really comfortable and I was presenting um, some of these findings in front of rooms of 100 people. And I was, pro- I was 22, 23 at the time. Yeah. And then I come out and talk to them, here's what your data is doing, blah, 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 here's what the reports are. And then they people would come up to me and they're like, hey, you have like a, like a, a background in like healthcare and stuff, right? I'm like, no, I'm just an analyst. Mm-hmm. But then you get you get so deep into the data, you f- you feel like that you, you know enough of it that pe- people will respect you, and I think that was an awesome thing. Yeah, was there any sense? I mean, healthcare is obviously a a, a big, um, well established field yeah. with doctors and people that are very serious. Yeah. And, Tons and tons of education and, and, and background or like kind of a pedigree there. Mm-hmm. Was there any sort of, uh, hey, kid, that's cute, but that's not how this works? Did you ever have any pushback, even though you're like, here's what the data shows? No, not, well, not the stuff that I would talk about, right? Because I'm not actually making a diagnosis right, right. or anything. It's, it's like, hey, here's what the reports show. This is some, some KPIs determining like how well your, your, your hospital is doing. With like you know, uh, not overdosing your 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 um, your patients or people are stealing drugs. Yeah. So it w- I come from a place where they probably aren't aware of it. Okay. So when I come into it, like that's something that's kind of enlightening to them, right? They're mm-hmm. not gonna maybe maybe I had a couple that might have been challenging. They're but like that the, doesn't sound right. For the or... most part, it's something they weren't aware of. So mm-hmm. they were they were kind of like okay, that's something I didn't know, and they were, it's more like kind of educating them. So they kind of came from that space, kind of like someone that wants to learn versus someone that's trying to say if I'm saying the right thing or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you weren't challenging any preconceived notions they had yeah. about their business. Right. Right. So, because otherwise, yeah, you could see there'd be a lot of pushback probably. Right? Yeah, they're like, hey, you can't, you can't say my, my, you know, <laughs> my uh, hospital is doing bad because, but it's like, hey, you know, we've had a bunch of these reports. And I dealt with, I had a, I had a, a hospital system that had like 400 hospitals I was in charge of. Mm-hmm. So I was doing those calls every single, like almost like three a day. So just that communication was like important because I had to be very articulate and right. be able to explain like what's happening at all times, and it was just repetitive. And that's mm-hmm. how I got better at communicating. But that, again, that's a, a key skill. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. And then and the, I mean, it's, it's it's how you deliver the message that makes all the all the difference in right. the world, right? It, right. Yeah. So then so then fast forward a little bit. You come work with us at Bridgepoint. We're doing mostly Microsoft stuff. Microsoft. Right? All Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, how looking back now? Because that was yeah ten years ago. I don't know. Yeah, nine. Yeah, yeah nine. Years H- how? Uh, I mean, I don't know. How was that time for you? Um, and don't spare my feelings, please. Just no, it was uh, <laughs> it was actually good. I mean, that was the first time where I met people that knew what they're doing, right? Because like the first 
like I said, my first job at Cardinal Healthcare Fusion, like it was crazy. Like the way they were building those reports, it was like through like access uh, databases on top with Excel with yeah. macros, and it was like you're generating a report to running these macros. Yeah. And I was like, looking back at it, I'm like, this is insane. Like, this was how we built, like, the ETL pipeline was a manual thing for all analysts to run these macros on Excel <laughs> that built, like, PDF things, right? It, it built a PDF file, and then you would, you would copy-paste some of the reports on there, and then you would present that to the hospitals. And I'm like, that's crazy, right? Yeah. Then I went to, so before uh, Bridgepoint, I went to um, UCSD, and I pretty much was the whole data team mm -hmm. at UCSD. Uh, they were just like, hey, we want to do some basic reporting. And that's how I figured out, hey, maybe we should use SSIS, SQL Server. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the time, it was, it was great. It was amazing. You had a full suite of tools you could use, which were awesome, right? But I think, um, you know, n nowadays, it, it, the performant part of it is, isn't as good. Right. But, like, just having a, a suite of tools, and it was like a GUI, a drag-and-drop thing, and people will build tools, and it makes it a lot easier. I think that that was a, a good thing about it, but just the performance wasn't that great. Right, right, and now obviously scalability. Right, if you're yeah. working with small data, great. But if you're working with real big data, you know you have kind There's of no kind shot. Of a problem. Uh, right? I mean, yeah. you have to do a ton of indexing and like a lot of optimizations, yeah. and it's yeah. like yeah, that's that's cool. But so, so then at Bridgepoint, you kind of really, I don't know, like evolved your skill set. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah. Uh, as you know, presenting, communicating, as well as obviously the right way to do things right. like we were pretty hardcore i think yeah. you know I, I know me with my role there i can become sort of a mad scientist and break down like oh what if we have all these configurations that do all these things yeah. and almost like i wanted to build some ai machine learning thing but not knowing anything about how to do that like if yeah. we just configured it all so then so then where do you go from there okay so i think so i left before you, you left yeah yeah and then you i think you were trying to get me to work for you guys at Interworks. At Interworks, yeah. But I was also interviewing at Teradata. Okay, right. For another consultant role. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time, you know, I decided to go to Teradata, which I maybe regret, because, like, I didn't learn a lot at all uh -huh. at that Teradata role. Teradata is a big deal, though. Yeah. They've it, got big clients, and their product is great. It's just expensive, if, from super what expensive. I remember. I mean, it's, it was like, it's big data before big data was right, kind of exactly. a thing. Right, exactly. I mean, there was, like, Oracle mm -hmm. was always the granddaddy of databases. Right. And then, yeah, Teradata was right up there in terms of if you have a seriously like large volume, data, yeah. you know, you have to do this. Right. Right. So I did that. But then the problem was, like, when I got hired, they hired me as a senior consultant. But mm -hmm. I've never used Teradata in my life. Right. So they're, they're <laughs> like, well, we could probably, you know, you could probably learn it, which I could have. But I never got thrown on projects because people were like, why would I pay this someone a senior rate when they have zero years of experience? So I was on the bench for like a long time. Yeah. You know, and if I would have went with Interworks with you guys, I probably would have been like working with the best, you know, kind of companies in, in, the, in the Bay Area and other parts uh, around the world, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Interworks, we had a lot of uh, a lot of clients all over. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of like maybe I should have you know went with you guys and you know done that. Well, it, but I mean, you got you got a taste for that, yeah. right? You saw what that was about. Now, when you went to Teradata, though, so you're coming in. Mostly with like SQL Server, right? Microsoft yeah. platform stuff, and even even at Cardinal, it sounded like hackerish kind of Microsoft stuff. Yeah, which yeah. is which is how I got. I mean, I was doing that same thing, mm -hmm. but it was 1998, and all oh, the right. other things that we have now didn't exist. So, right. so yeah, so so you kind of really grew up in this scrappy kind of hackerish way, and then mm -hmm. got more uh, formalized right. at Bridgepoint with how we were doing things, and then you get into the real big data world. Yeah. What was that transition like? Because we weren't doing big data at Bridgepoint. No. You no. know, not even close. So no. so was there a mindset shift for you? Like, how, how did it, and all the tools were different? Wait, right. Everything was Linux-based, I would imagine. 
Yeah. You know? It was a. Uh, they actually it's it, it's just throw up more horsepower at it. Yeah. Right. Uh, and it wasn't until I I worked at Plural Site, which is uh-huh. like the the next next step. Yeah. Was when I kind of you know figure out okay, you need to learn how to program, which is which is a key thing. But right. nowadays it's like it's getting so extract they're extracting from that now, like all the all these cloud based systems like Snowflake. It's like if SQL Server just had a crazy unlimited engine behind it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like using Linux and running your jobs and scheduling it yourself, it's just, it, it was a different paradigm shift, right? For sure. And if if you if you kind of look back at it, it's good to know because nowadays everyone simplifies it for you because uh, you do put a, a lot of effort into that, mm-hmm. and it, it pays like you know maybe you'll spend like for a, a plural site, like I built that Salesforce connector thing. Mm-hmm. And it was like that was like almost my full time job was maintaining that thing yeah. that was using all reporting, but I worked at MyTech, which is the company after Pluralsight, and I was like, you could just buy a JDBC connector to Salesforce and just copy the data yeah. via like whatever tool, and that's it. You don't got to do anything. Someone built something that will just pull the data for you. Yep. Um, yeah. So all these little little things you pick up along the way, yeah, are add to the value you bring to a company, right? Right, so so let's talk about that quick because at Pluralsight that was a cool thing, right? So yeah. we had, if I remember right, and correct me if I'm wrong, we had essentially Tableau dashboards mm-hmm. embedded into Salesforce, right? Which is probably infinitely easier today because Salesforce owns Tableau. It's hard, yeah. But but at that time, that was pretty groundbreaking. Yeah. Right, and I remember the one feathered my cap, and this was just because of what you guys built, so it's all credit to you guys, but the thing that I could, I really was proud of that I could tell to the other folks that I uh, worked with regularly, like the other executive type mm-hmm. folks, was that 70% of the company was using something we built every single day in the company. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reason was, not because it was a beautiful dashboard or it had some in, anything, like people didn't want to leave their workflow mm-hmm. to go find an answer. Yeah. So the so so how do you solve for that? Well, you put the answer right in front of them. Mm-hmm. So anytime anybody pulled up any customer page or whatever on Salesforce, bam, here's a dashboard. Yeah. And hopefully that gave you a little bit of insight. But every single person or seventy percent of the company yeah. used it on a daily basis, and it was all because of what you you know and the rest of the team were able to kind of get all the plumbing and all those things connected. Yeah. And then, so you carry that forward to my tech. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and that's a big thing about data too is about usage if i could measure how successful you are as a data team if people use your product or what you've built if people are happy and if people trust the data yeah if you could do those three things you're golden you're 100 so, percent golden so let's talk about that so so the first one was do people use your thing yeah how how would you measure whether or not people use your thing uh well so i didn't do that at plural site because right. like i wasn't you know in that level well, where just i want like, to measure let's, it hypothetically if you were to dream it up today yeah, yeah. well i but i did it at my tech so okay. my, I, my next role so i came in um we did it when i came in there was like literally nothing like it was mostly software engineers uh plus some analysts but no one had any data engineering experience whatsoever Right, so coming into that, I was like, "All right, I want to stand up Tableau. I want everyone to be to use kind of these dashboards for to make their decisions to to drive the company, right? Because instead of just throwing something on the wall and saying, "Hey, that makes sense," right? I want someone to say, "Hey, the data is telling me we should do this." So the way I measured it is how many active users do you have on Tableau? Because that was kind of the main interface. Uh, not everyone knew SQL, so we needed to wait for someone to be able to to see the data f- uh, from their department. So what I tracked was how many people are active users, like daily active users, weekly active users, monthly active users, and compared that to a kind of a starting point 
right? And then also, how many dashboard views do you have? How many people are you looking at re the reports on a daily basis? So when I left my tech about a month ago, um, I think we were getting about 100 people per week. And the company's 300 people, 350. Mm -hmm. uh, and most of them are um, kind of like they do like data entry work, right? Mm -hmm. they, 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 they do like kind of manual work, right? I would probably say other than them, about 60% of the people view the dashboard every single week. Yeah. Right? And on a daily basis, I think we had like 300 views a day or something. Yeah. And I'm like, yes. So coming from zero right. to that was a huge success, right? And I measured, right. like, when I left, I was like, I think I've left my imprint at this company because now they're, I, I consider them to be data-driven. Right. Like, every single time someone wants to do something, hey, let's check the dashboard. Maybe that's not the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's available for them. So that's how I would measure it. Okay. And I also measured things like how, people, how happy are people. Yeah. So, so we used to do a, a NPS survey mm -hmm. uh, after every single, every six months, right? And saying, and hey. Net promoter score. Net promoter right. score. So that the, if no one knows what that is, it's you score from one through 10. If you score a nine or a 10, which means you're a promoter, like you're really fighting for this group, you get a point. If it's like seven or eight, you get a zero. Mm -hmm. Anything below a seven or a seven or below, oh, sorry, a six or below right. is minus one. And like, a zero is considered a good score because right. you have a balance of good and, and, and bad, right? And then there's the people in between. But like the really good companies, like the Amazons, they have like their NPS scores are like in the 70s or 80s. Wow. Right? It's, it's, it's fairly high. So most of the people would recommend, the question is, would you recommend this to a friend or colleague? Mm -hmm. Would you score it one through 10? So you want a lot of those nines or tens because they're like fighting for you. They're like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, we want you to use this. So we did that for the data team. And the first, uh, the first time we did it, I think we had like an 83. Wow. Because that's kind of how I, I want to build my team. It, it's very customer, internal customer uh, satisfaction. Because again, you want them to use it and you want them to be happy. So those were kind of the things that, that I've done and I, I would you know, consider that a success. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I've always kind of wondered about that too because I, I, I've not dug, dug into it, but there's this whole rich history of net promoter score and who invented it and why and yeah. all the psychology behind it. I always kind of wondered if there's only three choices, why don't mm -hmm. I just have three choices? Yeah. Like thumbs down, meh, or thumbs up. Right. You know, it would make the whole calculation well, simpler. I think in order for you to score someone a nine or a 10, you really got to like their product. Right. Right. Because if you say meh, thumbs up, thumbs down, even if they're like so-so, they'll give you a thumbs up. Mm -hmm. Right. They have to be really like, yes, I'm going to give them a nine or a 10 because they've done right. such an amazing job. I think yeah. that's why... It's, it, it's a cool thing because you know who really is going to fight for you, how, how truly happy some mm -hmm. people are. Um, so that, you know, but again, there's different ways to measure it. I yeah. think it's a customer success thing. Is, is a, right. Is, so so your approach to delivering data products is one of focusing on the customer, communicating with them on a regular basis, and measuring the outcome of that, right? The, right? How many people are using it and how satisfied are they, right? right? Cause it, it, you know, this is one of, tell me if you agree, but this is one of the funny things about data work is that it's very difficult typically to tie the work the data team does yeah. to some business outcome yep. of like increased sales or something, except maybe on the data science side or something where it's like a very specific problem mm -hmm. and you gave them the answer and then it worked or it didn't, right? But generally speaking, yeah. yeah, dashboards and things, it's like, you know. Yeah, the KPIs, that was the hardest part is like, we're going to do a, a yearly like goal. Yeah. And it's like, what do you want to do? Like how many dashboards we put out? Yeah, like, it oh, seems weird, right? Yeah, it's, it's like, you know. arbitrary. Right, like we, how much ETL take? Like if it doesn't matter, like if you don't meet SLAs and things like that, like yeah. a lot of times it doesn't really matter unless you're doing near real-time stuff. Like, yeah, we'll run 
a batch process. Yes, you can measure that, but does that really tell you how successful a data team is? So I always push for that, and mm -hmm. I got a lot of pushback. Because like, oh, well, this doesn't tie to like a, a feature or like one of our, our rocks, uh -huh, yeah. right? And I was like, well, the rock should be make the company data-driven. That should be a continuous rock yeah. that's always moving yeah. forward. If people are using data, and you can measure that, because again, you, you see the logins, you see the dashboard views. That should be something that, you know, that, that, that you should be rewarded for. Yeah. Or saying like, yes, your team has been successful, you've done a good job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always hard to try to figure out w what is really driving success there, right? Because, right. yeah, it's very indirect. Right. Right. You're, like, smarter generally, but does that mean you got the $10 million deal versus not? We don't know. Yeah. Like, you, can't really, you can't really make a, you know, causal connection there. Yeah, so. I've asked other folks, and they, they were like, you know, maybe the other people hitting their, their milestones for the year, mm -hmm. and then you assisted in that, maybe you can say that. But then you put your your fate in everybody else's hands, which is not good. Because yeah. again, you you probably done everything great, but then maybe they just made bad decisions and they didn't hit their their marks, right? So you don't want that to be neg negatively impact you. But it's it's definitely a tough thing. In the it, data it's space. almost like an IT team or service in a way where like, okay, we upgraded everyone's laptops. So did we make people more efficient? Yeah. I don't know. Are we saving money? It's like it's very indirect. But like you know, you needed to do it, yeah. and you know it was a good thing to do, right? Yeah, so it is kind of challenging to 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 tie those uh, to tie those outcomes to the to the uh, actions there. So okay, so at my tech you got bigger now. In turn, okay, so at plural site we got kind of even deeper and heavier into some into yeah. the the data tech side of it. Yeah, and that's probably because I came from Facebook and these other places yeah. where we were just doing absolutely nutso stuff. Yeah. So we're coming there. I'm like, oh, life is easy, guys. This is we have, we have <laughs> we can really crush this because these are easy problems. Yeah. And then my tech, how how did you feel about the platforms you use, the oh, data man. you use compared to cuz you guys did my tech is like a backend services company for like check caching, yeah, deposit, mobile deposit, mobile deposit, ID, verification. yeah, things like that, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's a very I would imagine because you're getting images are you getting images? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So you're talking large files compared to like a text log, yes. right? So mm -hmm. it's like relatively speaking, very large. So what was that like in terms of the platforms you used and how you solved those problems? Yeah, it's a, it was a little, it was definitely a lot more complex. Because not only is it just having to store images, but dealing with machine learning people. Mm -hmm. uh, coming into that company, um, they probably had ten to fifteen machine learning engineers. Mm -hmm. Zero data people. Wow. Right? Um, and then we had a huge cloud ops team, which is, they were really great. So, like, they would build the infrastructure. It, we, were, we were a full AWS shop, mm -hmm. right? And that was, like, kind of the good thing about it is using, like, um, non-managed tools. Like, you don't have to really work on any of that stuff. Right. Like, fully self-service. Like, you, you just you just do the work, and if you need to upgrade something or a driver, Amazon kind of takes care of it. So, you're kind of taking a step back. So, like, when, when I went to Pluralsight, it was like, you could do everything you want. Like it's just a blank slate. You can program. It's it's open source code, and then you get to learn kind of the inner workings, right? And then I went to to my tech. You're like, well, we don't want you to build the infrastructure. <laughs> like <laughs> AWS has done that already, right? Mm -hmm. Use your skills to kind of build a framework around that that allows you to kind of do the same thing, but do it in a smarter way. Which what which was something that I kind of appreciated because yes, maintaining some code that you hack together, yeah. right? And, and being able to make sure that works forever and always, you know, having you code or if like Python 2 goes away, 
that you have to like rewrite all the code. It, it's it's a uh, there's a lot of stuff that you have to do. Mm -hmm. But then when you're using AWS um, or any of these, it doesn't have to be AWS in particular. Like you know Azure, Azure Google, Google, GCP, yeah. um, or IBM. I think they have their own little thing. Mm -hmm. um, it took a step back to say, okay, I've learned all the the deep knowledge of like how to do it yourself and kind of the inner workings, right? Like Hadoop, like yeah, oh, how the file system works. Yes, that works. But now you're doing it in S3, mm -hmm. right? You don't have to maintain that server. The Hadoop cluster, right? Right. It's just it's S3, and it's mm -hmm. just infinitely scalable. You can put whatever you want in there. You don't got to worry about it because that's sometimes yeah, cheap. Relatively yeah, it's speaking. relatively cheap. Yeah. You don't when you dealt with Hadoop, you got to worry about like, oh, is the cluster getting too big? Mm -hmm. Do we have to add another node? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Nowadays, it's just like no, you just they'll handle it. Um, but the, the the thing is, it's fairly new still ish. Right, so it, EMR I, and stuff like that. Yeah, like Redshift like, and Athena. Yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like every day Amazon has some new data yeah. service product, and I'm like, what is this even for? It's crazy, yeah. Yeah. If you've ever gone to like the conferences, mm -hmm. and it's like, AWS introduces, and they'll do like 25 different new products. Yeah. And it's like, okay, like it's like, it's so, it's so <laughs> unique to like a particular use case. Right, and it's just like it's, it feels like it's a it's a ton because like we you know we come from like a business intelligence data warehousing background. It's like you just build a table, you get inputs, you you, you know if you kind of dumb it down, you get business rules, you source the data, apply the business rules, you create a data source, and then people use it. Right, and that's that's like what you do, right? But then now there's like you know near real time, mm -hmm. where like I need to you know have this dashboard, but you're doing ETL like in pretty much like in a streaming format, which is like kind of crazy if you think about it. You know, it's like you have to tie things together from streams and, and, and knit it together and then output, like, the output, like, as a stream itself, mm -hmm. right? It's just, it's just a bunch it, of these different cases. Yeah, so, so t talk to me about that. So, so I think, I mean, so my problem, you know, my technical abilities... Yeah. You know, pro obviously at Bridgepoint, they started to erode. Yeah. Right, because that's when I really got more into management and all that kind of a thing. Right. So where are you at? So to talk to me about real-time analytics. Yeah. Um, just for somebody that has no clue. Yeah. Right. I have some clue, mm -hmm. but but tell me as if like that. Why isn't that just all analytics? Why right. isn't everything real-time? Yeah. You know. So the thing with real-time analytics is you can't. So everything traditionally is batch, meaning you you get all the data from the day before, and then you you create the you know either incremental load meaning you only load one data one day at a time or sometimes you, if the data is small enough you do a full reload you just run the whole thing, right? Um, but the problem with that is if someone says hey I have this problem I have this customer they're asking about something that I did about a minute ago or two minutes ago can you tell me what happened? Well you can't do anything because you have to wait till then that night's run to do it right? Uh, so that's kind of the traditional problems with um, uh, with data is that the the systems in place weren't meant for that. So then fast forward, right? Now everything comes through streams and messages. So you, you, you get all those messages and then it streams. So as soon as something happens, it gets logged somewhere or you store it in a location, S3 and AWS, mm -hmm. right? So And are you using Kafka for the streams or we're what? Using, well, we're using Kinesis, right? Yep. I mean, at Pluralsight, we use Kafka uh -huh. uh, and things like that, but it's just like a messaging kind of system. Right, so, so in this Kinesis, like Amazon's Kafka it's, thing? It's a... It's a yeah. It's a serverless Kafka. Right. Okay. Where you don't got to worry about it. You just you just spin it up and it just mm -hmm. does a particular. So, so the app or wherever the data is being generated from. Yeah. Uh, somebody's phone, uh, a website, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Uh, something happens. Yeah. An event occurs. A user logs in mm -hmm. or user places order. Let's say, um, and that fires off something that goes to Kinesis. Yeah. And Kinesis recognizes that, and then 
does what? Well, it depends. There's different things you could do, right? There's one where it's just fire hose where it comes in and it says there's there's two use cases, right? One is if the block, the message block, because you don't want to put one message at a time because there would be a ton of files. Mm -hmm. Usually you want to do it in a micro batch, okay. right? So let's just say the block is 16 megabytes. So it'll, it'll keep adding messages as new rows. And as soon as it hits 16 megabytes, it goes, okay, this is full, write the block to disk, right? The other one is every, if it doesn't ever get to 16 minutes, right? But every three minutes or every two minutes, you have like kind of like a schedule where it'll get whatever's in there and it'll just write it to disk. So that's just kind of the, and then it stores it into S3 or whatever file location that you have. Mm -hmm. So the, yeah, so Kinesis just does that kind of for you. And Kinesis Firehose, but then there's Kinesis Analytics, which does, the, does a bunch of other crazy stuff. It'll get mm -hmm. like a, a window of data as a stream, and then it'll make like virtual tables on it. So you can kind of do some logic mm. inside Kinesis. And then you can output the output of that because it'll join kind of streams together. And then it'll output kind of whatever SQL logic you applied there, and it'll output that to another stream. Mm. And then that could be something that someone can reference to put on like a near real-time dashboard. Um, but it's a different kind of, uh, it's more operational. That's why I, I think of like near real-time is not really related to uh, analytics, traditional analytics, because you only care about historical stuff and trends over time. But if you're doing something that's operational, where like I need to find if some, there's a fraudulent event that happens and I need to get alerted, that's kind of more on the near real-time sense. So the way we attacked it is when I came into my tech, I said, how is your system set up? Well, again, everyone was a software engineer uh, background, not a lot of data, uh, a lot of data background there. So they've already built the, the streaming infrastructure first, which is amazing. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times you go, they built like a batch process or whatever, and then someone says, hey, I need something to do something near real time. Okay, now we have to build this full streaming infrastructure. I came into it with them already building the full streaming infrastructure. So it's like, oh, we can do that. Like you just, because it, because the, the thing with, with big data is the, the, the concept of store, separating the storage from the compute. Mm -hmm. So you can just store all the, all the messages in S3 or whatever, and then you can, you can create a definition on top of that, on top of that folder and say, this, is, this folder is, essentially has all the data, and then here's the definition on top of that uh, folder, and then you, when you read it, it'll read the files in real time, and as soon as you add more files, it'll just pick it up the next time you read. Mm -hmm. Right, so then I'm like, you could just write maybe a view on top of the data as it's streaming, because we have the definitions on it. As long as the the data doesn't get corrupted or there's a different data type or something, it should just function like a table. It's a little bit slower because you're reading like raw JSON or some something that's kind of like a, a text file. Mm -hmm. It's not parquet or anything. It's not optimized, but it gets the job done. You can get a you can get something that's near real time with logic. Um, using using streaming infrastructure and and where would Redshift play into this? Because isn't Redshift a separate actual database? You'd have to like copy that data yeah. over to Redshift. Yeah. So there's not really, well, what, what? How would you query that in any kind of performant way? Like if I wanted to have yeah. a, a KPI, like so let's say I'm in a I don't know a, a network operations center mm -hmm. or something. I'm like you know, messages going in or, I don't know, something something related to my data yeah, center, yeah. you know, and the data is coming in in a stream like that. Like, what, how would I, what would I query that with? It would, it would probably be just, it depends on what you, what you do, right? You can, you, there's always tools like um, JDBC connectors or something, ODBC connectors that has like, that you can, like DBeaver. There's a bunch of different, like, mm -hmm. tools where you can connect to any database. You could do that for your analysis. You can also connect directly to, to Tableau, right? Mm -hmm. you, could have a, you could have a view or a table inside Redshift that a direct connection to Tableau, and then when you, 
when you change your, your, your report, it'll run a query and then spit back the results and then dynamically you know, rebuild the dashboard with the, the new data mm -hmm. uh, based off your filters or the way you've, you've uh, set up your dashboard. Um, but yeah, there's different. There's a ton of different ways. But for streaming, um, I don't think. I mean, there's there's ways to do it. You'd you'd have to have a, a process that has to probably micro batch the data into Redshift mm -hmm. or something like that. But I, we didn't use Redshift. We were looking into it. We we used Snowflake. Okay. Uh, yeah. We went from Athena, um, which is MySQL. Well, Athena's. Uh, I think it's Postgres. No, no, it's not Postgres. What's the one that Greenplum? No, no, no. The one that uh, Facebook built. My, my MySQL. The, the 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 newer technology. It's the it's the one where you could you could tie different. You showed it to me before. Presto. Presto. Yeah. So Athena is like serverless Presto. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. And it, it was actually re I really liked it. But yeah, because so 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 tell me what that is. Yeah. Especially someone that doesn't know. But so Athena is a um, a way to query files in S three, mm -hmm. right? Directly with S three. So. The, the cool part about that is it's completely serverless, so you don't have to worry about anything. Like the machines that spin up, the way it spins down, and then you, you only pay the amount of money or the based off of how many queries you run. So let's say you run one query in a year. You're only paying for the amount of data you read mm -hmm. for the year. And there's some optimizations, right? So you could say, like, all right, there's a raw text file, which could be like a gigabyte in size. Now if you compress that data into a, a, a more, um, a better format like Parquet, or Orc or something like that, it'll be let's just say you know, ten percent of the size or maybe five percent. Mm -hmm. So you're so when you're reading the data, you're only reading a fifth of the file size, so you're paying less, right? Um, but they, they, it's all based on like the glue kind of ecosystem. And and with Athena, can you do? Because with Presto, I know yeah, the thing that blew me away is I would write a SQL statement like select blah 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 from Hive dot something yeah, like a Hive table, and then join my SQL dot blah blah blah. So I'm like literally joining yeah. Hive and MySQL together yeah. just by running a query. I'm not having to build ETL pipelines or flow data around whatever. Mm. It was just like, yeah. hey, there's data over here, there's data over here. My Presto server can yeah. access all of it. Does Athena do similar not, things? Not non Athena. No. So okay. the Glue in Glue, which is like the AWS ecosystem that has all this stuff in it, you could do that in Spark, in PySpark. Oh, so okay. the Glue jobs, you, so they have this thing called a catalog. That's the concept. So a catalog could be files in S3. It could be a connection to an external database like a MySQL you know, or a SQL server. And then what you do is you load those things into data frames as views, and then you can join it all together. But you don't, as long as it's in the catalog, then you can read it. So mm -hmm. that's a way you could, you could do that. But a lot of times in, in a typical use case, it's, it's cool, it's nice to have uh, if you're doing exploratory analysis. But for like ETL, it's most of the time you're like, yeah, I'm just gonna get that data and whatever, and I'm just gonna copy yeah. it into our own repository just so the data kind of lives together and you're not impacting the external system. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so then so then you're using Athena and or Spark or you know, all these yeah. different things to try to query your data to get some real-time analytics. Yeah. And then hopefully people can answer questions with that, right? But you're saying the traditional form of analytics doesn't lend itself well to that. Right. I mean, what, what would you say are for today, considering so many things are real time and streaming is here, yeah. you know, prevalent, what would you say is the advantage of what we would call traditional analytics or like data warehousing? Like, should you still even create data marts in those things? Yeah, that's or, a good question. <laughs> I mean, are we going back to the employee hierarchy table? <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, what would you say if there are any, like, should somebody even build a data warehouse nowadays or just go? You know, S3 all query that. Yeah. It all depends. For me, I wouldn't really 
go, it just takes too long. That's, that was the downside with, with the, with data marts, like the, the planning, um, like the, the, the schemas and like all the, all the, the, the rules that you have to apply to it, uh, took a long time. And nowadays with most of these newer companies, you got to move fast. Right. So like, it's, it's like, for me, it's like, what do you need? Exactly. What do you need? What, what questions? So that's, that's how I, I kind of attack uh, data problems is what questions do you need answered? I always come with that question first, right? If you don't come, if you don't come with that question, then you kind of get in this thing where you just go round and round. And, and, and if you, you got to know what needs to be delivered, right? Um, with a, with a data warehouse, it's more of like, it's the same kind of concept, but you're trying to answer all questions, a, a plethora, a combination of different questions. We got to build something that can do multiple things, but you still gotta, it's nice to have that mindset. You want to build something that's reusable, of course. But the data warehouse, people will work on a project for six months, right? For like one data mart. And it's like three you know, engineers that are kind of heads down. They have to do like the, you know, um, the, all, all the cha uh, slowly changing dimensions. Mm -hmm. it, it's, you know, but sometimes you, you're working in a, in a space where that doesn't really matter. Uh, a lot of the times data doesn't change. I don't know if that's a new trend mm. in data, like data kind of updating. Because a lot of times you have like IoT data, it's just sensor data that's just, Here's a new thing. Here's a new thing, mm -hmm. and they're never really updating historical stuff. So maybe it's not as prevalent. But I'm sure there's a, there's a ton of different use cases where that well, matters. It, I think you know nowadays it seems in what I'm hearing from you is yeah like we basically if you're if you're a, you know have a tech product uh, whatever you're just logging everything. Yeah. So the reason we used to do all that work before the slowly changing dimensions, the tracking history, all that kind of stuff was because the source systems typically didn't track history. Right. Right. So if you wanted to go back, if you wanted to rewind the clock and say, hey, how, what was this team's sales performance six months ago? Yeah. And there were different people on the team. We have no clue. We only know who's on the team today. Yeah. So we can see what those people did six months ago. But yeah. we didn't. So you couldn't really look at things over time because time was, wasn't true. It was changing. People would just update the data instead of creating a new row. Yeah. Right. Back in the day, they're just like, hey, we're using SQL Server as our system to feed our product, right? And then someone says, hey, this this person reports to this person. They just make an update, and that's it. Now the, the that row has been updated. There's no, like... It's as if it's always been. Yeah. Right. And it's like, okay, well, what happened? Didn't you report to this person? Oh, yeah, I did, but we made an update. There was Instead, people, maybe are thinking better. They're like, maybe we just need a new row that says this person has been updated. Maybe it logs somewhere, like, yeah, we made this update, but not a lot of people did that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I've dealt with that with, uh, with Salesforce data. Someone's like, hey, I'm trying to do historical analysis of this, this, and this. And I'm like, well, the data in Salesforce is what it is today. That's it. If, if you didn't build an ETL process to log the, any changes over time, you're screwed, right? Unless there's a, a historical table that does the tracking for you. But a lot of times you don't do that. And then that's why a lot of people, you know, they, they, they can't track historical changes or trends of how are you doing versus today because mm -hmm. they don't they don't have that data and that's like kind of like a, a thinking mindset that a lot of people don't have what data yeah. seems should, should be helpful for yeah it's an interesting world right because if you build if you were to build a new system yeah i think the right way at least what i'm hearing from you you know someone that does it still full-time is that you should just log everything as a new row yeah an update right but don't change the data in a database just log that there's a new new change that happened right so we can rewind the clock if we need to right and you can if you want to build a slowly changing dimension or something you can just go back and do it off the logs right so you can just build what you need to build 
based off the data without having to do slowly changing dimensions and splitting the data up and right. saying... I can kind of have a query, figure out the slowly changing dimension yeah. as long as the data exists. Right. If the data doesn't exist, you're out. But right. assuming it does, you can figure it out later. Yeah. And I'm assuming the reason why is because storage, right? Nowadays, it's completely cheap. Like, no one cared. Log whatever, log everything. Yeah. You know, uh, but it does add complexity, but it's you know better than not having any anything at all and having to have a process that tracks... Slowly changing dimensions and saying like, "Hey, it's expensive. what does the data look like now versus before?" But now it's like, yeah, no one really cares. And you know, sometimes I know it's happened to us at least once where there would be a really high level change on in the employee side, and all of a sudden our whole process would fail overnight because it it had to make you know seventeen thousand updates or something, yeah. whereas normally it makes fifty, right? And so it ran for thirty hours and timed out or something like that, you know. Right. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so then. Okay, so then that was Pluralsight and then MyTech, and then mm -hmm. fast forward, you're at Flipside Crypto? Flipside Crypto, yep. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thanks. And what is your job there? Uh, I'm the Director of Data Analytics. Okay, and what is that? So I pretty much, so you know, I always break down, when people ask, like, what are the different roles, right? Yeah. Uh, data engineering can encompass multiple different things. So there's a platform data engineer that's more traditional software engineers. They care about services. Probably better coders, right? They're, they're pretty hardcore software developers. Uh, and then there's analytics engineers or data engineering analytics where you're more on like, you know, applying business roles, doing like the ETL pipelines, um, you know, writing more SQL and then being able to communicate and things like that, right? So I am currently, and then also I have a, the team of analysts as well. So I, I encompass kind of the analysts and the, the analytical engineers uh, mm -hmm. on my team. But essentially what, my, I make a fake title that says director of making it easier for people to use data at the company. So that's what, <laughs> that's what I do, right? So like as, if, if I can come out and everyone says, hey, the data is easily available and I can, I can use it easier, um, then you've done your job, right? So that's at, at a high level. It's someone that makes the data easier and more consumable for other people. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. what happens is you get raw data and that raw data is just nasty, Right. And if you ask the analysts, hey, can you do this analysis? And they're like, yeah, this thing is like a nightmare. Uh, I don't, you know, and say, okay, let me make it simple, simple, uh, more simple for you and get it to you in a format where it's like, oh, I can use this data and it's really easy to use because it doesn't have all the junk in it. It's, you know, you take out all the duplicates, you, you apply all the business rules, and it's like in a nice clean platter. It's kind of similar to building a data mart, mm -hmm. right? So it, it's very similar to like a traditional like data warehouse person. I'd say. Right. Okay. And then, so do you have actual analysts on your team that deliver these things? And if so, do you use Tableau or like, how do you? Yeah, they have an internal tool. Okay. They have an internal tool that you use, uh, that's in proprietary in-house that's built. Cool. Um, maybe in the future. Cause I, I want to do the things that I've done for prior companies, right. Is help the whole company, not just like the product side become data driven, but like help others. Cause you need some sort of, you know, I mean, a Tableau is, is nice because they, they've been doing it for a long time. They're like, you know, leaders in the field. Um, and we have our internal built tool. Maybe they could use that as well. But it's a lot mm -hmm. easier if you to hire especially, right? If you're hiring people and they're analysts, they're like, hey, do you guys have Tableau? Because I'm used to that because that's what most of the people in the industry use mm -hmm. uh, today. But yeah, there, there's that piece. And then like there's the other piece where I'm, you know, going to try to hire folks that are going to be more on the analytics engineer side. So some, some Python, not like super hardcore, but like, pretty good at Python, um, and then pretty pretty strong at SQL. Mm -hmm. But also the, the tough part about the space that we're in, it, it's crypto. Mm -hmm. So the data is, is gnarly. Like that's Yeah, tell me about the data, because I mean, I have a loose understanding of yeah. 
cryptocurrencies, but what what is difficult about this data? What's gnarly about it? Uh, when you work at audit companies and you use data, most of the time, someone on the in the company built that data, right? Someone mm-hmm. built someone built a a feature or a front end or something, and then they they can log what they want to log. But when you work with crypto data, it's you use someone else's data, so you have no control. You can't say, hey, can you actually make this simpler? Or can you extract that piece and put it over here? They just send you the full block. Mm-hmm. So the way blockchains work, right, is it's a, it's a ledger, right, that tracks everything that's ever happened over time uh, till infinity. And then it's, it's all chained together uh, with different blocks. And each block has a ton of different transactions in it. And then each one has, like, events in it and messages and logs and it's just one giant, we're talking about like one block would have, you know, between 30,000 to like 100,000 rows of like nested JSON, wow. right? And then if I were to attack this at my prior company, I would have been like, yeah, just, just throw it in S3 and then we'll throw some SQL models on top of it to kind of get kind of like a structure. But it's so complex that it's pretty hard to do. Even if you wrote SQL to navigate through that, it'd be very difficult. So there needs to be like a step before that that simplifies it a little bit um, and you're probably using Python in this case, and then outputting that to a table, that then you then you would kind of use that as a starting point for people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the the data and not just that it's always changing, right? There's always like different business roles, or there could be a new, completely new protocol that that comes out that could be the hot thing, mm-hmm. and then you have to like figure out how they done, like you yeah, know, they store or, their or data. Or like um, I know the Ethereum 2.0 is coming out. Yeah. Right. New new chain right. for a new token essentially but yeah yeah and that's going to look totally different and there's a bazillion crypto uh chains out there already mm-hmm. you know all these kind of things that's that's crazy now is the volume of data you're working with now like large or? it's pretty large i mean i wouldn't consider it like you know facebook right, right where like a user's table is like a zillion rows or whatever yeah uh but it's in the billions so it's i, I consider that big data mm-hmm. um but it's it's not just the the size i think the complexity is like the more difficult part because like the size you can handle with a good tool. So we use Snowflake, and Snowflake is amazing, mm-hmm. right? You can you can you can scale it up and down as much as you want. So like, if you want to use a machine that's like super small, or you can use a machine that has like a hundred or two hundred fifty nodes, but you only pay for the amount of time you use it, mm-hmm. right? So yes, you could use a machine that's worth like ten million dollars, but let's say you only use it for a minute to do some crazy calculation. You're only paying for a minute of mm-hmm. whatever that's mm-hmm. worth. Yeah. So so talk to me about Snowflake, and I want to get into. Um, eventually I want to get to some things about like recommendations for new data yeah. uh, people out there. Yeah. But tell me about Snowflake because you're the second person today that's mentioned it to me. Yeah. And I think they, like I was before their time. Yeah. So I've seen it, I've heard it, but yeah. I, I basically know nothing. So hit, hit me with it. What is okay. Snowflake? And, I, and I, I do plan to try to get them on the podcast at some point. Yeah. Uh, but from, from your perspective, I'd like to hear, like, like what's its value? What does it do? All those kind of things. I would say it's equivalent to Redshift, like like the okay. space they're in, it's 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 a SQL like front end back end that you use to interact with big data, mm-hmm. right? The thing about Snowflake, the the cool part about it is it's infinitely scalable, right? Because with Redshift, you you write a, and you, you you create a cluster, yeah, right, and then you're kind of stuck with that, and then you're paying a hundred percent uptime. You can spin it down. There's there's things you could do, but the spin down spin up rate. Could be you know minutes or even like you know five to ten minutes based. And it's not it's not realistic. So if every time you want to run a query and spin it down for ETL, there's you know no one no one can query it until you spin it up or spin it down. Now with red with Snowflake, it's like instantaneous. So you can spin it down, not pay for anything, 
run a query. It'll spin down in a minute, and then or, uh, it'll spin up in like a second or a billiseconds, right? So it, it'll it'll uh, be up and running right away. But then not, all, not only can you do that, you could also upgrade to a, a, a stronger machine in seconds as well. Mm. So if you say, hey, this query takes about you know, two minutes to run, and in theory, it should be a linear improvement. So there's like a, they, they do like t-shirt sizes, right? There's an extra small, small, up, up, up all the way. I think they're doing a 6X or 8X or something, wow. which is like ridiculous. Like you're paying a ton of money if you have it up 24-7, but you know, maybe someone that is at that size that has like petabytes worth of data that they'd want to use, right? Um, so yeah, it, it, can, it can scale that way. So you have way. to put your data in it, like a database, or does it you, connect to something? You, you could also, get, so there's external tables, okay? right? So you could do an external table that has um, data that's stored in S3, mm -hmm. and then you could read, Snowflake can read that data. It's not mm -hmm. as fast as you, know, you putting it into the Snowflake eco ecosystem, mm -hmm. um, but, but if you want like the fastest performance, if you want like the best experience, you'd probably want to ingest that data, do some ETL process, and have that data readily available. Mm -hmm. um, but that's great. They have, they have great support. Um, like, they probably had, because the problem I had with AWS is that, you know, you, you have to go through the AWS um, support ticket system, mm -hmm. and it's like, it's, it takes a while, and it's just like, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a, am I a priority? Like, what's yeah. going on? Uh, with Snowflake, you have, like, the, the sales folks are, are awesome, and they, they, they'll, like, you know, when you work with them, they'll, they'll answer all your questions right away. And then you have once a month meetings where they're like, hey, ask us anything. It's like they're so available uh, to you. But the performance was like kind of the biggest thing. Not only was it exponentially cheaper, mm -hmm. right, because of the, the amount of usage that you have, but it, it was also faster. Yeah. Right. And then it was completely, you don't have to really worry about it. And it's all SQL. So if you're very comfortable with SQL, like Snowflake, almost everything on there is SQL. Yeah. And it, it also interfaces with a bunch of different tools, right? So they have partnerships with Fivetran. Or DBT, so Fivetran's like a connectors to external third-party like tools like Salesforce. You could do like a Fivetran connection mm -hmm. where it could automatically download the data into Snowflake. Mm -hmm. It's just a way to simplify and make things easier. Because like that was the biggest I think hurdle in the beginning of of, uh, of big data is because like oh you have to write MapReduce code in Java and like and Scala and, and whatever. whatever else yeah. And it's like it, it was deterring so many people that like were very kind of in the data space, but they're like you know what? I'm not a programmer. Yeah. Like that's whatever. And then. I think the biggest leap is when Facebook created Hive, mm. right? And it was like, oh, now you can write SQL, and it'll create the MapReduce code for you. Yep. And then this is like another level on top of that because it's like you don't have to do indexes. It just works, and it just works really fast with the, whatever great. proprietary logic. Uh, and it's, again, it's, it's really cheap. And you can connect probably, else. like you said, probably directly from Tableau yeah. or Power BI maybe. Yeah. I don't know, things like that. Things yeah. that a real analyst yeah. that is like, let's say, in the finance department mm -hmm would use, right. right? That were the sequel even for them was like, oh, it's maybe a bit much. Yeah. Right. And I remember we, we did a POC, I don't know if you were there at the time, of Vertica yep. at, at uh, Bridgepoint. And I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it was that performant. And this is a long time when Vertica came out, but Vertica is kind of like in its own space. I wish we could have like looked into it, but like, yeah. you know, when you have Snowflake, it's like so easy. They just give you a login, they're like, here you go. And then you're just going to data going. over. Yeah. How, how do you get your data in it? You have APIs or interfaces like, yeah. like what, what tools? So if I had SSIS, would it work? Do I need something like Alteryx or something like Python? Like, like what, yeah. like, so the, you're saying the, it's cheap, it's fast, mm. um, it's good, but on the, uh, so for the analyst side, but then yeah. like, what about the other side of it? The, if I'm the data engineer, right. is it still my friend or do I hate this? No, it's still your friend. Okay. Yeah. 
But you're, you're still, depending on what your ETL framework is, right? So mm -hmm. like ours at MyTech was, um, was Glue. Okay. So you're writing a lot of Python scripts that interact with it. I'm sure you could just write a JD, JDBC connector to it, but there's a bunch of different libraries where you can migrate you know, data. So they could be like copy. So you have data in S3 and you write a copy command and it'll just copy it directly into Snowflake. And mm -hmm. it's like pretty seamless. So you just have to do some like CloudFormation templates uh, to figure out like if it has certain permissions. Like they'll give you a user and say, hey, this is the user that you should use to interact with your AWS account. And then you just need to give them permission. So you might have like a, you know, a cloud ops person on your team or someone on your team that's like good into de uh, DevOps and they could, they could kind of set that up for you. Mm -hmm. But it's just, it's just like a, even though it's external to AWS, right? It's not within the AWS ecosystem. Uh, they work directly with a lot of these cloud uh, provider tools mm -hmm. to, to make it simple. That's great. Okay, so that's Snowflake. Yeah. Now, and we've talked about Redshift, and mm -hmm. we've talked about a whole host of things here. So tell me if, you know, rewind the clock mm -hmm. to, uh, I, I don't know, not you getting out of college because you weren't on the data path yet, but yeah. maybe you're at Bridgepoint and you're going to go somewhere else. Yeah. And you want to add a skill. What's, like, like, like just talk to me, like, and yeah. we can talk hard skills and soft skills, right? Because I know yeah. they're both valuable in different ways, but, like, hard skills. Like, what are you going to learn today? Right. So, wait, out of college or after Bridgepoint? Well, let's say after Bridgepoint. Like, you, you've got some data chops. Yeah, I did SQL Server. You've seen how to do, how we do things there yeah. anyways, which at the time was, like, you know, the right way to do things, obviously. Yeah. The world is completely different now, but... Yeah, so what, what, what's the next tool that you're going to add? Yeah, depends, right? If you, do you want to be a data engineer? Okay. Do you want to be a data analyst? Do you want to be a data scientist? Do you well, want to be a machine learning? Give, give, me, give me as many as you can. Okay, so I, I wouldn't talk too much about data science because that's not in my, in my realm, sure. wheelhouse, but I would probably say R, right? Okay. Uh, R, Python. You can't go wrong with those two. Yeah. Right. Same with data engineering. Python, um, maybe Scala if you want to get into the more pop, uh, the... Um, the data platform side. Yeah, would you say that's more of a platform engineer platform probably engineer, working yeah. on software products, not yes. data products? Yeah, building you know? the infrastructure, building like you know, how, what the tools that the, the analytics data engineer team uses mm -hmm. would be the platform team, mm -hmm. right? Like more Kafka, right? right. Building kind of like the framework and things like that. Uh, Java, Scala, I would say. But Python, you can't go wrong. This is like one of the only things that goes across multiple lanes, right? right? If you... Have someone that knows Python, you can you can do some work in between each one, mm -hmm. and definitely SQL, right? So like I mean, again, but you already know that when you're coming out of Bridgepoint, so because you've already worked with those tools, mm -hmm. um, and just getting familiar with with the cloud. I think nowadays, I think the clouds are like all these things that are in house or on prem. I think that's all going to go away. Yeah, yeah, and it's like every, all these companies are trying to go to the cloud. So you know, it's it. There's always a, a good uptime to security aspect of it. Um, I think that's like another thing to look into the cloud. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, like Tableau, you know, and it's just basic concept, right? Like the big data concept of like, you know, separating storage from compute, just the, the concepts is a good thing to understand mm -hmm. what differentiates that from the traditional kind of relational database, right? Because then now um, you do like schema on read. So one, one of the things about big data is that like the problem with the old systems, like the legacy systems is if you throw data into a database and then something is a little bit off, like, hey, this column changed, like the, the name uh, of the column changed or if the data type changed, when you try to insert it, there's an error and you're stuck. You can't really do anything about it. Now, when you get into big data, they don't care about that. They just say, throw everything in a folder mm -hmm. and then you worry about it when you read the data, right? Mm -hmm. So you never get to that point where, you know, you, you get stuck and there's an error. I mean, 
you'll 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 get an error when you run the query because hey you're getting a null but value. But you didn't lose data. You didn't lose data. Yeah, you still right? got the data. Yeah, it's it's like a like the hive meta store. Right. With definition is wrong or right. something, right? right? So you need to re update that or whatever. Right. But then that's like concepts that you want to kind of think about, like big data concepts and, and kind of research about that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that would be a good thing too. Um, but yeah, I, I would say those are kind of the primary so ones then, I would kind yeah. of focus on. Okay, and then so that's the hard skills, right? So we got SQL and Python for the more programmer type mm -hmm. languages. Tableau, great one, pretty standard popular tool out there. Um, and then cloud stuff, right? Yeah. So which cloud platform would, would you I recommend? mean, I, I'm only familiar with AWS, so I can't okay. really speak on the others, but I think AWS probably has the biggest market mm -hmm. right now. So if you're looking to get a job, yeah, AWS is definitely a solid bet. Yeah. Some companies probably had like, hey, we use SQL Server, we have the Microsoft stack, let's use Azure because we're just kind of, you know, maybe the sales folks yeah. are directly like, hey, you guys want to use the cloud? I, I know Dustin does a lot with Spark on Azure yeah. or something like that. And I'm always just like, well, I, don't, I don't, every time I've tried to use Azure, it's been, well, I mean, I guess when I, when I tried to use it, it was like yeah. in its infancy. Right. But it was always kind of clumsy and didn't work. Yeah. You know, AWS has its challenges. It's a, I think AWS is just ahead of the game. So like yeah. they, they've probably been doing it for a little bit longer. Right. Than a lot of these folks. Um, and that's probably why, like, you know, they talk about things that come that have come out for Azure, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, AWS had that, like, a year ago. And mm -hmm. then I'm sure when it first came out, it was terrible yeah. on AWS, and then it kind of <laughs> improves. Um, but that's that's the thing. It's like mm -hmm. things things get better as as it goes along. It's still, in, I would still say it's still in the infancy. Or not infancy, but it's, it's maybe the, the walking from the crawling stage. Mm -hmm. But when you have a new thing that, like, just came out, there's going to be problems. Yeah. Uh, even when you use Airflow the first time at, 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 yeah. uh, at, at Pluralsight, I was like, I don't want. I just want to use a cron job that just I know it's going to run. Yeah. You know, because like we had issues, but then now it's like it's been like eight years or seven years. Yeah. It's and amazing, I'm sure right? there's, there's like astronomer or whatever, there's a, there's a company that's like handling Airflow, right? There's there's like a commercial aspect because it's not open yeah. source. So we had we had to go through all those growing pains right. right in the beginning, and then I remember like you know, but that that. that it's great because then when you get into something that's awesome and you're like, yeah, I appreciate it because I know how <laughs> difficult stuff was before. Right. Whereas someone else that just comes into it, they're like, what? Why is? Why doesn't this work? And you're like, kid, just trust me. This is great. Yeah. This, this is, is way so better. much better than it used to be. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt for a lot of a lot of years of like, like a Tableau when when I first started doing Tableau. Mm -hmm. Like I remember my first dashboard I built, I used classic ASP. Mm. Like .NET wasn't even a thing yeah. yet. Yeah. And it was just like hand-coded HTML craziness reading off of uh, Microsoft Access databases and just craziness, right? Yeah, yeah. So now when I can just click a couple buttons and I have this like filter that I click on a drop-down, it changes all the data in my view. I'm like, this is you no know, idea how, how yeah. hard that is. Yeah. It's so nice. But that's just how technology works, right? We just stack little a little by little on top of each other. So what about the soft skills side of it? So because you've been in, yeah. you know, now you're in management. Yeah. Congratulations. You're yeah. You know, and you've been in it for, I mean, 10 plus years now, right? I mean, you've been working in data for a long time. Yeah. So, so what, what would you say? I mean, and you've, you've, I want to talk, I want to hear the Facebook interview story, but, yeah. but what are the things that you think, like if I'm coming to interview for you, yeah. what are you going to be looking for? Jeez. Do, do side, if you have no experience, side project. Okay. Right. Maybe a cert, it, cert stand out. Like I'm not saying I'm looking for it. I'm not looking for it. I'm not going to say, find me someone that has a cert. Right, but if I get a stack of resumes, there's ones I would look at and say like, okay, this person got like a AWS solutions architect thing. It, like I'm a, at my tech, we had someone that I hired 
um, and it was she was like a year or two out of grad school or her master's, and she had an AWS Solutions Architect certification already. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that should you know, I know how hard that is. Like, yeah, you know, to get there's like different levels, right? Um, so that that's the thing, but also like side projects, but it, it depends on the interview process. Like my interview process is completely different mm-hmm. than any other people's. What I do with my people is I do a take home little question and then you kind of build something from that, right? And then when you come to the interview, we just ask you how you do that, do a system design and explain like how you would build it, like, you know, through through a design process and we just pick and pick and choose, like, hey, why did you do this? Why did you make this decision? Why didn't you do this? So you can, you can articulate. You can see someone that's like, all right. You can know when someone knows what they're what they're doing, because it, it just comes out like smooth. Like mm-hmm. I can tell when someone knows what I, knows what they're talking about because it's like breathing to them, mm-hmm. right? And that's like something. Maybe that's I'm comfortable with that because I've interviewed so many people, and like I've also done a ton of interviews for for jobs as well. That you can tell like you don't even have to ask them the next question. They will they will follow up with like and then oh yeah and you say I was about to ask you that. Right. right, and then they, they're already on that. Right. Whenever you hear, "Hey, actually, that's a good question. I was about to ask you that," right, and You're they're on already, the right path. They're on the right path. That, yeah. I already know. Like, there's a ninety percent chance that I want to hire this person, right? But just it's just about being comfortable and being knowledgeable mm-hmm. about the particular topic, and then, but you can only do that with repetition, right? And actually doing some of that work. And if you can't do it in an office environment or a job, you got to do side projects. Mm-hmm. And like I said, and like like what I did at at, uh, at Bridgepoint. Dis- display your project and talk about it. Maybe that's a 10-minute, 15-minute window where you can kind of impress that person and say, like, hey, here's a subject matter that I'm very knowledgeable about, that I've worked on, that I want to present to you and show you, like, how my thought process is, right? And that's why it was unfortunate at these other companies where they won't even give you that opportunity to yeah. do something like that. So, okay, so before we get to that, I want to, yeah. so, so we're looking at the communication skills is what you're talking yeah. about. Right, and so how would how would you recommend someone develop those skills? I mean, yeah, like, like you've developed them, you know, over time. About work, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But, you know, so so what what like what have you done to improve your presentation or communication skills? Oh man, I would say it was that first job where it was very disrupt. I had like I was talking to three hour presentations every single day, yeah, for different hospitals, but it was like the same topic. And it's just getting used to it, right? Um, I think that was like kind of the big thing, and then just getting put in, into uncomfortable situations and, and presenting. I think that's also another thing. But I, I couldn't really, maybe, t- maybe improv, not improv. I'm just trying to think of ways for you to just to talk and just like not get nervous and right. be comfortable and not being fa- afraid to fail, right? Because like, yes, you're gonna fail. You're gonna do bad, like unless you're like amazing. But that's that's expected, yeah. Right. And then as as you as you do more and more of it. Uh, that's when you get more comfortable. It's like with anything in life, right? Um, but I would just recommend doing something. Maybe talk to your, do a fake interview with like uh, someone that you're close with. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's someone that you know does the thing. And, hey, can you interview me or do a mock interview? Yeah. Or something. Like that. I don't know if there's companies that do that, I think. Yeah, there, there, there's definitely ones out there. But I mean, I like the idea of, I mean, maybe like a user group or something. Yeah. Like imagine uh, presenting your side project to a user group of people yeah. that care about that thing. Yeah. You know, I built this dashboard for this thing. You know, maybe no one cares, but I want to present it to you. Yeah. Right? Because those guys are always looking for speakers and stuff. Just and so you're, what you're saying is, I mean, I think what we all know, which no one likes the answer to, but you just got to do the work. Yeah. Right? You there's, have no, to. there's not, there's not a, like a magic, you know, pill that you can just take and 
there's like that's where it's going to be easy. Yeah. Right. You're going to have to put some legwork in. You have to kind of be familiarized with with stuff, and you're gonna you're gonna have to you know do do the work, like you said. Yeah. Um, but you know it's 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 a good thing. There's a lot of different projects you could do, like in data. Right. You could you could just what what do you what are you passionate about? Right. Like hey, I like basketball. Like hey, write a Python script that scrapes basketball data. Mm-hmm. And then that creates kind of like a model for you to make sports bets or like whatever, right? Yeah. Just do something that you, you when you build it, and you can kind of like explain the ins and outs of it, and then get kind of an uh, output from it, and then d- display that in an interview. Like that, that that will you know put you heads uh, beyond. But it depends on the interview process. Like I said, it all. Yeah, yeah. So so that's so I'm with you on this whole thing. Yeah. And obviously, you really impressed us when you came and did that at Bridgepoint. Um, and that stood out like like a lot. So, you know, that was s- similar to our whole thing, right? We had to know that you know knew how to code. Yeah. But you didn't even have to know. Like, I don't when you came to Bridgepoint, were you that good with the Microsoft stack? Not really. No. Right, because I remember you saying, and I think that was kind of impressive. It was like, hey, I, I, you know, I'm relatively new to this thing, but I built this over the weekend. Yeah. Which showed that you had the ability to learn. Yeah. Right, so it's those deeper qualities right. that we're always looking for. I remember Dustin when he came out and interviewed. Mm. He was a business objects guy, yeah. or was it business? Yeah, what, Bo. What? We can remember. It was yeah, Bo. Yeah. It was a bad acronym. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he was all about business objects. He'd never seen uh, SQL integration services before. Yeah. But we said, "Hey, we're going to fly you out from Chicago to interview. Yeah. Build a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it is." I don't care if you go to Microsoft's website and just download the thing, yeah. but know that we're going to ask you about it. So be comfortable talking about yeah. it. Um, yeah, so so I'm with you. Like that's, And I think that works well, but not everyone does that. So tell me no. about where have you interviewed that didn't follow this kind of a model um, and how to go and all that? It's Facebook, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like I said, when at Pluralsight, we didn't really have an interview. Right. <laughs> when I, and I had, I guess, Bridgepoint, from Bridgepoint um, on, the only interview that wasn't someone that I already knew was Facebook and MyTech. Mm-hmm. But MyTech, I came in, they had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> right? So it was me kind of teaching them. It was me coming in asking, like, what are you doing? Like, what's, what's the plan? And them, like, kind of like, I don't know. And then me kind of like, oh, maybe you should do this. So, so maybe that's like the thing. That, yeah. if, you're, if you're coming into a new thing where, like, you're, you're supposed to be, like, heading a project... Put your input in, right, and say like, "Oh yeah, like you know, ask questions that it sounds like you you kind of are interested in improving their processes and um, putting your input in there." Now for Facebook, it was it was rough. This is like the toughest like interview. Yeah. and uh, again, it's it's, it's Facebook. Now, it's now very what rigorous. role were you going for though? Because I feel like there was a yeah. mismatch almost. No, it was a it was a senior data engineer analytics role. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of my in my wheelhouse. So like strong SQL, um, fairly strong. Uh, Programming like in Python, but mostly on the SQL side. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, at, at maybe the this kind of went against me at Pluralsight. I was very focused on learning Python. Yeah, right. That was like that, that was the thing. I did probably mostly Python programming, a little like maybe eighty percent, twenty percent SQL. Right. So coming into it, I'm like, oh yeah, SQL I got in the bag. Like yeah. I don't even I don't even got to worry about that. And it, I think that was the thing that hindered me in, mm. in the interview. Um, so what they do is they you know they do a a phone screening with a recruiter, right? And then you do like the first coding. So if you pass that, they'll go, okay, do an online or an online like Notepad I/O sharing screen thing. Uh-huh. They give you ten questions, and they give you like the sample table, and you can look at the tables. And I think you have an hour 
to answer all 10 questions. And, you, and literally, I don't, if you don't answer all 10 correctly, they won't even put you to the next round. Yeah. And they're pretty like hard like questions yeah. uh, on there. And then if you pass that, you go to the second round of online, the online Notepad.io thing. And then I think they give you six questions, but it's harder, right? And not only that, you can get the answer correct, but they wanted you to do it in the cleanest, least amount of code possible mm. uh, in the most efficient way to do it, right? So you can even get these answers correct. And these are SQL or Python scripts? Both. It was a mix between SQL and Python. Okay. But simp simpler ones, like, you know, like, hey, if you have a list, how would you, you know, um, pull out this word or something like that? It's like, yeah. oh, you do a for loop, and then you say where A equals, you know, whatever thing yeah. you're looking for, then you return the value. Like, so it could be that simple, but the second one are, like, are crazy. Yeah. Uh, so you get through that, and then you do the on-site. And this is, like, super intimidating. <laughs> So we went, uh, I, I went to Palo Alto, they flew me out there, and it was four hours of interviews with like senior slash like lead folks, pretty pretty smart folks, but there was like no interaction at all. You, mm. you come in, they're just like, maybe like, hey, what's your name? How's it nice to meet you, whatever. Uh, but then, then he goes, okay, go to the whiteboard. And it's probably like the size of your, this room, maybe, yeah. maybe like, you know, five feet by six feet. It, it feels like a little jail cell. Yeah. So... And you're in there, it's you, and then um, the guy's sitting down, the person interviewing you sitting down, and then you and a whiteboard. And then you, they just give you a problem, and you whiteboard for an hour. Wow. It's like, and it's like, whatever. And then they ask you questions back to back to back. And then you get through it, and they kind of build on each other, right? And then they leave, and then someone comes in for another hour. And then they kind of grill you for an hour. And then you leave, and then I think there's like a little lunch thing um, you, that you do. And then you do it again for another hour. And I think the last one was SQL. Mm -hmm. And it was like something that like I've never dealt with in my past because I don't deal with Facebook level data. Right. Right. I've never dealt with something with. Like, I mean, who does unless you work at Google or somewhere else? Or the Bay else. Area. Yeah. 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 It's like I've never. In which tackled... case, why you should be recruiting me? I, I'm not. Shouldn't be applying <laughs> here, right? Like. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm just like, like, I could probably figure this out, but not in that time crunch. Yeah. Very. It's very like high pressure kind of situation. Um, so I did okay. They were like, yeah, you did great, but we had someone else. And I imagine they're very into like, what what school did you graduate from? Really? Like, yeah. I'm sure there was a guy that went to Stanford or something like, yeah. you know, I went to San Diego State. My GPA is not great. At under a 3.0 GPA, mm -hmm. computer engineering was rough. Uh, yeah. But, you know, they kind of care about that. They're just like, oh, what was your GPA? Interesting. Like, really? Like, does that really matter? But, you know, so they went through it and they're like, yeah, like we want someone else. They, everyone loved you. You did great. Um, but they said my sequel wasn't as, for what the role they were looking for, isn't as strong as the other person. Hmm. And I was like, I thought sequel was my thing, right? Yeah. But it was sequel on the biggest level of data size, which was, you right. Know, okay, they're like, yeah, if you did this, you, you just, it was some question that like I've never kind of. Did they give you the answer and say, here's what yeah, yeah. it so, could have been better? Yeah, but I it was. What was the question? Do you remember? I don't remember. I wrote it down somewhere, but it yeah. was like because I remember I went over it and I was like, I was like, I was thinking I might have gotten an offer, um, because it, it took a long time. It was like uh -huh. maybe a week. Maybe they were waiting for the other guy to accept the offer. If if not, then I would have yeah. kind of got in. But um, yeah, it was it was some question that maybe I could look back at my notes because I do I have all my study notes. Yeah. But for Facebook, you have to study. Really. They, they tell you to study for like a couple months, and they give you like some. It, it was it was insane. Wow. Yeah. But. It's Facebook, right? It's like I think it's harder to get get a job at Facebook than it is to get uh, into Harvard yeah. or MIT. Yeah. Like the the, the the statistics of people that apply and actually get a job. Yeah. You know, so like, um, yeah. I, I mean, I gone through it. Something that I learned about, but it was something that's like, you know what? Like, it almost feels like like did you feel like you kind of didn't want 
the job based kinda. on that? Like the interview kind of. Yeah, because I'm. A, it's kind of like I don't know. Again, those people that interviewed me, you know, they probably do these interviews every single day, and they're just like, you know, they they don't try to get to know you like personally, right? Because it's less like you're just like, hey, I'm gonna interview you, and then I'm gonna go to the next one, right? Now, were the people you're interviewing with? Were any of them going to be people you actually worked with? And that's I don't know because Facebook mm-hmm. is different, right? So I think you go to a boot camp, and then then they decide here's the, the project, and someone can pick, you're like a free agent, right? And picks you up. Um, actually, I think one of the people actually worked with you uh, at the time. Oh, really? I forgot the name. Oh. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about huh. it later. Um, but they're like, yeah, I knew, I knew Ben. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, so we, and my name is all over their Tableau stuff because I, yeah. I set it all up. Yeah. And so they had like all these dashboards from their legacy kind of proof of concept system yeah. they were doing. And when I migrated them over, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is different now, but you had to have somebody be the publisher of those dashboards. Yeah. And I had written um, scripts to copy everything over because yeah. at the time, I don't again, I don't know where Tableau is at now, but back yeah. then it was very hackerish. Yeah. So you know, me and like you know, Mike Roberts was super good at this kind of stuff mm-hmm. of like PowerShell. Hack- yeah, PowerShelling things our our way through things and just hacking it to do what we want, so we didn't have to like manually copy over. But I think there was like two hundred dashboards or something crazy. Yeah. And and at one point they all had my name on them. Yeah. You're the, the owner. Yeah. And yeah. so like. I wouldn't be surprised if to this day you fire up one of their Tableau instances and you're like, yeah, there, there you are. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd imagine, yeah. Yeah, and then I, I did a lot of trainings there, so I was like the Tableau guy for, I don't know, a few months or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, wow, that's crazy though, man. And then so so you didn't get the job, but no. you're kind of, now would you have moved? That's the other thing too. You would have had to move. <laughs> I would have had to move. Yeah, yeah. now the, grand, the money would have been good. Yeah. Did they have, give you any clue what the money would have been? Probably total comp. I'd imagine it'd be probably like three fifty. Yeah. 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 Which which sounds like a ton of money. Yeah. And it is, but when your uh, one bedroom apartment is six thousand dollars a month. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. It adds up, right? And then like all my all you know all my family, all my friends, and I'm a San Diego guy, so yeah. it's like it's tough, you know, for me. I mean, that's a good amount. Of, that might have been that that amount. It's probably enough where I'm like, you know what? I could really, really think about it. That, Let's go for it for that, a few years. That's an entry point though, right? So you go, whatever. But then when you get into like upper management or management, like you're talking about a million, you know, if you're yeah. a director at like Facebook, you're yeah. making a million dollars, like ish, 800 to a million dollars yeah. a year. Um, but it's a lot of work, you know? Yeah. It's a lot of grind. You learn a lot of stuff. That's the thing too is like, it would have been great to like work with that data. Yep. That's something I was like, hey, this it, would... Well, it's not as great as it seems, I can tell you okay. from firsthand experience. I mean, you know, the problem with big data is that it's uh, it's big. Yeah. So, like, uh, so, so a, a friend of mine that actually left there and whatever, he was on a team called the Data Tools Team, mm-hmm. and their whole team's job were to build tools that, they, that you could use to work with the data because it was so impossible to work with. Right. You know, it'd be like, let's run a query and go on vacation and come back and maybe <laughs> the query's done. Yeah. Um, so they had to sort of invent, I guess, all these things. And that's where like Presto came from. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like they created Presto to work with the data because it was so impossible to work with. And then I think um, a few of the Air, uh, Airbnb yeah. stuff yeah. came from sort of, you know, fledgling versions of those that those same guys made at Facebook. Mm. Right. And then they open sourced them or whatever. But yeah, I mean, that's why you see like open source platforms coming out of places yeah. like Facebook because. It, they, there was no way. So I could tell you, I mean, it was, you know, working, I worked a lot with like the finance team and HR and those mm-hmm. teams. So life was actually fairly easy with yeah. the data. But I did some work with the product team one time. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, this is, guys, how do you deal with this on a yeah. daily basis? This is a nightmare. Um, 
you know, I mean, it was so challenging. Yeah, it just took, everything was so slow and there was no solution. Yeah. There's not like, oh, let me buy Snowflake. Yeah. No, like the biggest, <laughs> you could buy the whole company and everything they have wouldn't be enough. Yeah. You it's know, I think. Um, you had a crazy Vertica. I mean, Vertica is probably. The, the I was thing. I was there when we were implementing Vertica, and it was going to be the largest vertical implementation ever. Yeah, yeah, three hundred fifty nodes or some, you know, you know yeah. hundreds and hundreds of, of terabytes inside of Vertica, meaning you know the compressed <laughs> data yeah. we actually care about, not all the data. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I mean, obviously, it's it's a fun place and all that. So. Yeah. But yeah, well, I'm glad. I'm glad you stuck it out here. I'm glad things are working out, and um, and you're working with Eric. I know. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm gonna be talking to him sometime soon. So, yep. I'll be learning more about the data science stuff. So yeah. and all that. So let, let me ask you one, one like one last or two, two more questions yeah, here, yeah. and we'll call it. What is so because this is it's kind of a funny thing, but how do you define data science versus something else? Uh, I would say data science is more predictive. Okay. Analytics. Versus like you know exploratory. Okay. So that would be my thing, right? So like you're making predictions off with models uh, to see what's hap- what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just one aspect. There's like so many different things. Like regular right. analytics is like yes, you have all the data, and then you build reporting, and then you do kind of exploratory analysis. But there could be an, a, another. You could take it another level deeper if you have someone that's a mathematical background, because yeah, there's a dashboard shows a trend, but you have to say, hey, does that really correlate? Like, does mm-hmm. that make sense? Like, with with a mathematical background, I have worked with folks that like, you know, have their you know PhDs in math and things like that, um, that aren't data scientists, right? They're just right. they're data analysts and they're very smart about that, that thing. But the difference is, you know, more predictive, right? Versus um, exploratory, right? Right. Got it. And then the last question is, what would be like? Let's say you're you know rewind the clock to you ten years ago and you heard this interview. Yeah what would be the one thing you would want that person to take away? What would be the one thing you want them to learn out of this whole conversation? Yeah, I mean, the things that I talked about, um, you know, knowing what makes a successful data team or person is um, keeping your your customers happy, making sure they're using the data, make sure they trust the data. Uh, I've always, you know, had that uh, come through different companies and I've always tried to apply that 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 concept uh, or that mantra. It's like, if, if you can do that everywhere, you, you'll be successful. And I didn't learn a lot of that. Um, I mean, I learned, I mean, I knew some of that, but never really like saw the benefits of it till, you know, I've gotten into more leadership positions, right? Um, Cause like when I worked at MyTech, the, the thing about MyTech that really helped me grow is that the software engineering best practices, I've used a lot of that. Cause it used to be just the wild west. Mm-hmm. Like, we have Python codes and scripts, and it's running in production, and it's just like, yeah, you know, we're a startup, you know, at Pluralsight, you know, with the Impala, and we can write queries directly, and probably we can delete tables, we can do whatever. We're not versioning our code. There's not, like, a CI/CD process to do deployments mm-hmm. and use no GitHub. No change management. No change management. Yeah. And I think that's, like, a thing with, like, analytics is, like, there's not a lot of that, right? And there's things that, like, I'm trying to got to try to implement at the new company, or like unit testing for data data sets. You know, like, mm-hmm. hey, before you write a query, here's expected inputs, here's what the expected outputs are. And then you write the query and then you use it to pass the test. Like, did you write the code that makes what the input is convert to this output, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and having processes in place, I've learned a lot about like product and like, um, you know, cause I was technically a product owner as well at the company and saying like, hey, how do you, you know, work with the teams where, 
it's easier for them to, to do the work. And we had a, this process. We were a Kanban team, meaning we just have a list of tickets and we just knock them out each yeah. week. And then I think we we delivered almost like 1,800 tickets in like two and a half years. Wow. And it's all because of the process. Like you, you set the right foundations kind of in place mm-hmm. um, that allow to do that. And then like, you know, just always teaching other people is always great. Uh, it, it helps you kind of understand uh, more about the the subject when you're having to teach someone it because you have to articulate it in a, in a manner that like someone can someone that isn't as knowledgeable as you be able to understand it but then that lets you understand it kind of even more i had two guys in my last company they actually worked at like two guys one guy was a data analyst never did data engineering work and one guy was a uh, software engineer that had never done any data engineering work and after a year under my team they one of them works at twitter and then the other one works at facebook and seattle nice. You know, and I'm like super bright people, and I was like so happy for them. And then when yeah. they left, they were just like, "Hey, I'm so sorry that like I, had, you know, I got a new job." And I was like, "Dude, good for you. I'm so happy for you." Yeah, like you know, that's what I you know want to do with my team and, and team members. That's awesome, man. Well, and, and I mean, so so you know how I feel then about you and everyone else doing all these things. So yeah, congratulations on your success. Thanks for coming today, and uh, maybe we'll get you back on down the road and talk more about this stuff as, yeah. as you di- delve into the, the world of crypto. Yeah, and one thing, a plug is, uh, okay. yes. so if you do want to do projects, we have Flipside Crypto, what we do, mm-hmm. is we actually gather all that blockchain data and we make it publicly accessible. Oh, right. Right, so there's a, an app called Velocity where you can come in and actually look at all the Ethereum data for every block, uh, all the different blockchains, and then you can do your own analytics on it. So if you want to do a, a project on your own, that's yeah. something that you could use. And we also do things where, like, we ask questions for the community, and we actually pay people in crypto. Oh, for, cool. It's, it's a bounty program. So where, how, do you, how do you find this? Uh, go to the Flipside uh, crypto site, and there should be a bounties uh, tab. I'll, I'll send you a link later. Okay, yeah, I'll put it in the add. show notes for people so they can check it out. But That's yeah, awesome. It's a way for you to just do a project on your own. We have a dashboarding thing where you can write your queries and create yeah. dashboards, and you can share them with the community. Yeah, uh, I think it's I an awesome that. thing. Hopefully, it'll be like a place for anyone that needs to learn about crypto. We have all the data. We'll have yeah. all the data, and then yeah. it'll be easy to use for everybody. So I'm kind of heading the team that's like to make sure that that thing is working for, for everybody. That's awesome, man. That's super cool. So then people could use that to learn. They could use it to earn crypto potentially. Yeah. And you know, and then I don't know. Maybe you know, one day as you guys grow, they'll come work for you or something like that. Right. Or you know, as so. as a pro- if you do something, you build a dashboard. You go to an interview and you say, hey, here's a project that with crypto data. Yeah, you know? I, I think th- that's something too that that I always really recommend about um, when people do that. I always recommend people bring a demo of something to an interview. Yeah, um, because it still is uncommon. I, people don't do that all the time, and right. so that's already is you're standing out. But also, um, if you do it in a in a thing that is related to maybe your role or at least the company, yeah, it'll really kind of like when we would talk about giving a presentation. Mm-hmm. I could say we have X number of things. Or I could say a football stadium worth of that thing, mm-hmm. right? How many subscribers do you have? You know, ten football stadiums. Like, yeah. like you try to you try to picture that in your head. You're like, oh my god, that's that's uh, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. But if I just said a big number, you're like, it's it's too abstract, right? Right. So if you're doing a demo of a product in an interview, do it on something related. So if you're going to work at a crypto company, yeah. give me a demo of something. It doesn't have to be our data, our thing, but yeah. like something that shows to me not only is it you can do it. But you are interested enough that you found an example here that right. had to be unique because why else would you have this? Right. It's not some some something that's easily accessible to someone. Right. Like, hey, there's a there's like a project that's kind of like a someone that someone could use at an interview. Yeah. Right. Something that you you kind of think about on your own. That's awesome. All right. So go to Flipside Crypto, find the thing, 
Share it with James. Yeah, there's a dis if you go to Discord, there's a Flipside uh, Discord. Again, we'll, we'll send you the link. Yeah. So there's a big community out there. I think we started, there was like 70 people about a month ago or a couple uh -huh. months ago. There's like 1,500 people. Whoa. So it's like all these. So you can share your dashboards or your things there and then, you know, kind yeah. of learn. And You'll whatever. see the bounties and stuff like that. And so like, That's awesome. And then there's like, yeah, there's a, like some introductory questions and there's some advanced ones for anyone that's interested. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to, to show something. Yeah. Right. For for future interviews or you know or anything else and and it, just learning. You know, and yeah. crypto is super interesting. Yeah. DeFi you know? is like. Crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. The world. You know, it's funny. So it's a, it, let me ask you one more question about that because. Yeah. The the thing is, so how how deep are you into the crypto space? I mean, Not I work deep. there, but yeah. okay. So you're still kind of fairly new. Like the only thing crypto I've ever done is bought bought Dogecoin. Yeah. And I sold it at four <laughs> x the the price, and then I was like, I got out. Yeah. And I was like. You know, I bought it at two cents. I sold it at eight cents. Woo. I'm out. I'm like, this is great. And then it went to like 75 cents yeah. or something. Yeah. But again, it's like a profit. But sure. other than that, I, I mean, before the interview, of course, I did my research. Yeah. Understood like the blockchain. I've uh, done a bunch of like tutorials, but, you know, about Ethereum um, and things like that. But it's, they still have a long way to go. It's, it's, a, it's yeah. a very deep space. So, so the DeFi stuff is super fascinating to me. And because it's almost all based on Ethereum. Yeah. I always look at it as like, well, Ethereum is the god king. It is really, it rules the crypto space. I know Bitcoin gets the big headlines mm -hmm. and it's one coin is worth more. Yeah. But as far as I understand, the functionality of Bitcoin and the chain it runs on is fairly limited. Yeah. You know, the amount of transactions it, it can do are mm -hmm. super limited, so you couldn't really use it as a currency. Yeah. You know, whereas Ethereum and then the thousands of other coins and products based on its chain yeah. rule the world or mm -hmm. will rule the world. So... Yeah. There's a bunch of different ones out there too. There's different. There's like a tender mint change. is a different yeah. kind of a thing. Um, and then they, so they're they're trying to do what Ethereum 2.0 is trying to do. The proof of stake. Proof model. of stake versus yep. mining because it's like just hey, run this crazy math problem for 10 minutes on your you know yeah. Nvidia 3090, and then yeah. maybe you could win a, a you know a piece a Ethereum token or something. Right? Yeah. And it's yeah. just not you know scalable. Right. Uh, so a lot of different chains uh, do something else. But yeah, it's 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 it, that's the. The thing is, it's always growing. There's always something new to learn. Yeah, cool. Well, go get some some chops there, and then we'll have you back on and talk crypto data, and so people can learn more about it. Yeah. But um, thanks again for coming on, man. Yeah, ben, always great to see you. And um, stay tuned for more, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode there with James. We go back a long ways, and so hopefully some of those stories are fun for you. And you probably learned quite a bit, as I did, about all the different technologies and things that are happening, especially in the cloud space. So I'll put links to the things he mentioned there at the end in the show notes if you're interested. And again, make sure to subscribe if you want to hear more conversations like this. And thanks for watching. I'll see you back here in the next one.